Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program that features the lives of the saints and reflections on the Sunday readings, along with information on a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Our program is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. Our interview segment today will feature Monsignor Jim Culp. We will also get a glimpse into the life and times of St. Luke, along with reflections on the readings for this 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more on Wineskins. In our current issue segment, I'll speak with Julie Sutton. With me again is Julie Sutton, who's the Director of Faith Formation at St. Michael Parish in Canton, Ohio. Welcome back to Wineskins. Happy to be back. And Julie, last time you were here, we talked about Stephen Ministry. And I'd like to talk a little bit more specifically about that, if, if we could. Oftentimes, when we think of Stephen Ministry and pastoral care, we think of those that have experienced the death of a loved one. But Stephen Ministry really is reaching out to more than just the loss of a loved one. So what are some of those losses that people experience in their lives that this ministry particularly addresses? This ministry addresses or can address really any type of difficult life situation that's giving somebody pause. It could be the loss of a job. It could mm-hmm. be moving to a new place. It could be divorce. It could be loss of a child. It could be the birth mm-hmm. of a child and trying mm-hmm. to integrate that into your life. It's really pretty much anything that gives you pause and mm-hmm. that you need extra care and extra time to deal with. Most of the time, people deal with the losses of life and get on more or less okay after a period of healing. But sometimes it's just harder and they shouldn't suffer alone. I wonder what is in us that allows some people to kind of move on rather easily or sometimes cavalierly, but then there are others that kind of carry the burden of loss for a long time. Is there anything within humankind that makes us different in that? I think that grief is so individual and not just between people, but even within one individual's life. I had a care receiver who had been widowed, but for the second time and said, you know, the first time it was hard. It was really hard. But after a few years or a few months, you know, I felt like I was ready to get back to life. And after a few years, I was remarried and living a pretty fulfilling life. But this time, I'm just not getting over it like I feel like I should. And she just needed to process more things. And it turns out it was about far more than just grief of the loss of her husband. It was also Mm -hmm. she was at a very different life stage and grieving the loss of her independence and her physical well-being and her the edges of her memory. (laughs) So it was it's just a more complicated time. But I think that I don't know how you can predict how sometimes losses are harder for one person or harder in one situation than another. Do you discover that in your work with Stephen Ministry, those who uh, have kind of been ministered to and supported find themselves wanting to be part of this ministry as well and kind of like turn the tables and they become the caregiver? That is absolutely absolutely a phenomenon of Stephen Ministry and other caring ministries that the broken healer, if you will, that people Mm -hmm. have life experience that they feel might be helpful to others and give them the empathy to deal with that. Sometimes it's it's not good. Some people are too broken or they turn it into rehashing their own losses and their own griefs. And so that's why there's training and screening of caregivers and care receivers 
and a careful discernment process in putting those people together. And I would imagine the company with that we do as part or that you do as part of Stephen Ministry is not just because I have compassion, which I mentioned on an earlier taping, but because I'm trained in this to understand how I actually walk with somebody and support someone through their loss. And that ministry of training is really important as well. It is very important. And in addition to the training before you become a minister and are commissioned, there's uh, supervision afterwards as well. So we meet in small groups, the Stephen Ministers, and we talk about our caring relationships. It's confidential still. We do not mention our care receivers by name, Mm -hmm. but we talk about our reactions because when you sit with somebody in pain, sometimes you carry some of that with you as well. And so we have to make sure that we're caring for ourselves and for each other and make sure we're not going too far and getting over-involved or jumping in to the problem with the person. If someone wants more information on Stephen Ministry, very quickly, where do they go? I would start at stephenministries.org. It's a, a really good website, and if you call there, they will answer all your questions. They're really very supportive. You're never on your own as an interested person or as a Stephen minister. Jolie Sutton from St. Michael Parish in Canton, thank you so much for being with us again and for walking with us in this process to learn more about Stephen ministry. Thank you very much. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. St. Luke was an evangelist. To tell us more is Diana Hencherenko. She is a young adult minister at St. Angela Marici Church in Youngstown. Luke, the writer of the Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles, has been identified with St. Paul's Luke, the beloved physician, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. He might have been born a slave. It was not uncommon for families to educate slaves in medicine so that they would have a resident family physician. Luke was the comrade who stayed with Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome. An ancient tradition stated that Luke was from Syria and was a doctor. St. Luke died a natural death at the age of 84. He is the patron of doctors and also of painters because he is said to have painted an icon of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The relevance of St. Luke for us is that both in the life of Jesus and in the life of the church, he places great emphasis on the practice of prayer. Moreover, St. Gregory the Great states in the Office of Readings, whoever fails in charity towards his neighbor should by no means take upon himself the office of preaching. The gospel is not a form of propaganda, nor a type of publicity. The evangelist Luke reminds us that even the actions of Christ were a form of preaching, since all that he did, he did for our instruction. Consequently, we also should give witness to Christ in word and deed. The preface of his Mass states, You have willed that the mysteries of Christ your Son, the source of redemption and of life, should be made known through the sacred scriptures by the work of men, illumined by the Holy Spirit. Thus the words and deeds of the Savior, recorded in the immortal pages of the Gospel, were consigned to the Church and became the fertile seed that throughout the centuries produces fruits of grace and glory. Let us pray. Saintly Physician, You were animated by the heavenly spirit of love. In detailing the humanity of Jesus, you showed his genuine compassion for all human beings. Inspire our physicians to have divine compassion for their patients. Enable them to cure the ills of both body and spirit that afflict so many of our day. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.
For Wineskins, I'm Diana Hancharenko. Joining me now is Monsignor Jim Cope, who is Pastor Emeritus of St. Mary's Church in Massillon, now called Divine Mercy Parish. And so nice to have you back on Wineskins. Thank you. Good to be here. You, you know, the last time we really spent some time talking together was five years ago when you were on the Spotlight television show, and we were celebrating the 75th anniversary of the diocese. Now we're celebrating 80 years. You've been ordained a priest for 70 of those 80 years, so you've really been around for the beginnings of our diocese. Talk about the beginnings that you recall in 1950 when you were ordained a new priest. Uh, Yes, I'll uh, talk about the beginnings of the diocese. Of course, I was uh, in high school. I lived in North Canton, Ohio. I had gone to St. Paul's grade school in North Canton, and then uh, my parents uh, sent me and my brother to uh, Canton to St. John High School. I like to tell people, you know, how did I get to school? I lived in North Canton about five miles to uh, Canton to get to school there at St. John's on McKinley Avenue. Well, it wasn't, I didn't go by bus, it didn't walk, it wasn't bicycle, it was by hitchhiking. So for four years, I uh, hitchhiked from North Canton, as did my brother, and uh, also being in North Canton, as you know, during that time when our diocese began, the United States was in the Second World War, which uh, was a a very horrible experience for the world because it is said that uh, those who done figuring figure that there were in World War II about 70 to 80 million fatalities, if you can imagine that. Staggering, really. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's the way it was. And so uh, the country was pretty much military at that time. Mm -hmm. I had thought of becoming a priest in high school And I had thought of becoming a Jesuit priest because during high school we had retreats from Jesuit priests. And I went up to visit my cousin one day in Cleveland. He was a priest in the Diocese of Cleveland. And I told him that I was interested in the priesthood and uh, perhaps the Jesuit order. He said, why don't you just think of the diocese? Be a diocesan priest. And that would, of course, have been in Cleveland. And so I thought, okay, I think that would be good. So... About March of 1943, the Diocese of Cleveland invited young men who were interested in the seminary to uh, go to the seminary. They would take us out of high school because had we stayed in high school, we would have been drafted in our senior years. So I uh, left North Canton, went to Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit with a group of young men from the Diocese of Cleveland. So uh, we uh, studied there, and then in May, just a couple months after that, we got word that there was a new diocese, that Pope Pius XII had begun what was called the Diocese of Youngstown. We weren't too sure just where Youngstown was, (laughs) because not too many of us were from that area. We, uh, of course, then began to realize that we had to do some switching over, so uh, that's the way it was uh, when the diocese was begun in May of 1943. Let's talk about the early years of the Diocese of Youngstown. When you were ordained in 1950, the diocese was only seven years old, so Mm -hmm. it was very young. So you obviously remember Bishop McFadden Mm -hmm. and obviously Bishop Walsh. In a nutshell, tell us about those two men. Yes, I can say that they were 
marvelous people. I uh, had a cousin who was a priest in the Diocese of Cleveland, and he was the secretary for Bishop McFadden for some years. I got to know Bishop McFadden a little bit through him. Bishop McFadden, of course, was the one who was appointed as the uh, first bishop, and things began, of course, naturally to turn toward Youngstown, and St. Columbus became the cathedral. It was a very interesting change from Cleveland to Youngstown. We were studying for Youngstown. I remained at the Sacred Heart Seminary myself. So Bishop McFadden was a marvelous person, and even though things were during wartime, they went along very, very well. He, For example, Bishop McFadden, at one time, he uh, said this about beginning the diocese. He said, the establishment of a new diocese under the exigencies of a great global war that caused priorities in building materials and restrictions of available labor, and in addition, shortage of priests and sisters, many of whom went to the front and offered services to God and country, might have been extraordinarily difficult, but in reality it was not. It was an undertaking of love. And Bishop McFadden says, love begets love, and arduous burdens that had to be confronted were greatly lightened through the generosity, loyalty, and considerate cooperation of the members of the new diocese. No task seemed too large, no problem too difficult. So there was a lot of cooperation, and it worked out just very, very well. Let's talk about your recollections of Bishop Walsh. He was the second bishop of the Diocese of Youngstown, came here in 1949, just six years after the institution of the Diocese of Youngstown, and became coadjutor with the Rite of Succession, and became bishop then in 1952, two years after you were ordained. So talk about those early couple years of your experience of Bishop Walsh. Okay. I was privileged in my first appointment was to be an associate at the cathedral. I, uh, of course, lived right there at the rectory of the cathedral, and we had lunch at noon usually with Bishop Walsh and members of the chancery. He was very, very friendly, and he uh, tried to take care of whatever needed to be taken care of. My friendship with him was very, very good, and I learned a lot about the diocese just sitting around the dinner table at noon was interesting because he came from Charleston, South Carolina, mm -hmm. and was a priest of Savannah, Georgia. And so he's basically bringing that Southern hospitality and Southern charm. Did you see that experienced in your time with him? Yes, I did. He was very hospitable. Of course, lived right up the street here from the cathedral. He also, of course, had been very close to the Catholic committee in Washington, and so he had a lot of connections down there. So that helped in our relationship with the bishops of the country and so on. Well, Monsignor Jim Culp, unfortunately our time is over, and we certainly appreciate your recollections of the many things that you've experienced in your over 70 years as a priest. And what I'd like us to remember is that priesthood is really a gift and a blessing from God. And the next time you come with us, 
and spend some time here on Wineskins. We're going to talk specifically about your priesthood and how you celebrate that. But we want to thank you for your presence, and God bless you in your life and your ministry. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. It was a privilege to be with you. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Christopher Minutes. Thoughts on making every day count. Here's Monsignor Jim Lasanti. Major Charity Adams Early commanded the only all-black women's Army Corps unit to serve overseas in World War II. In 1996, she was finally honored for her wartime service. She said, students ask me, how did it feel to know you were making history? But you don't know you're making history when it's happening. I just wanted to do my job. Doing her job meant opposing segregation in the armed forces. In England, Major Adams refused Red Cross equipment for a segregated recreational center. Her battalion was eventually allowed to use the same recreational center as whites. My friends, each person can and should strive to overcome prejudice. We need to speak up, not only on our own behalf, but also for others, because that's doing your job as a human being. I'm Monsignor Jim Lasanti of the Christophers Remember, you do make a difference. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Our song today is from the CD entitled The Living Christ. It is by the Kellenberg Memorial High School Choir.
Our scripture reflections for this 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time will be done by Deacon William Wanio. Today, Jesus is telling us a story of a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a hedge around it to protect it, dug a wine press to produce wine to sell for profit, and he even built a tower to be able to see oncoming trouble that might jeopardize his crop. It sounds like a beautiful place, a place that one would want to visit, that one would want to care for, until we read a little bit further, and we see that the wise landowner then leased his vineyard to tenants who, as the story continues to unfold, totally abused the gift of the vineyard they have been given. Does this sound familiar? It should. God gave each of us a beautiful place to live, a vineyard of our own, just as the landowner gave to the tenants in the gospel. We know how much God loves and cares for the earth that he created. The early chapters of the book of Genesis tell us this story very well, even saying that God made everything and found it to be good. God did not want to keep this creation selfishly to himself, so he gave it willingly, out of love, to the first human beings, Adam and Eve, to enjoy. They seemed to enjoy it maybe a little too much, disobeying God and vandalizing the earth God had made. Now does this sound familiar? God gives us a vineyard too. He has blessed us abundantly with gifts, with earth, with life. And yet, we seem to be very good at vandalizing the gifts we have been given, much like the tenants. We, like Adam and Eve, have been given several beautiful and generous gifts, and yet we're very good at pushing them aside and disregarding them. We have been given life, breathed into us by the Creator who has never ceased creating. And we, so many of us, are blind to just how precious the gift of life is. Don't take my word for it. Turn on the news. You can see it for yourself. Every day in some part of this great country, or even closer to home, in some part of our local community, someone's life is cut short. We have unprovoked and unnecessary gun violence. And imagine train cars that pass through our neighborhoods, and highways we all use several times in a given week are carrying human beings in freight cars, these humans being trafficked all over the world. If that wasn't enough, we turn to the statistics and find that 27% of these people being trafficked are children. That's nearly 4 million children a year. We cannot forget the selfish sin of abortion, the death penalty, and euthanasia. All of these things go against and destroy the gift of life which we have been given. In addition to our life, God has blessed us with a beautiful earth, a beautiful vineyard in which to make our home. And we as tenants have abused it too. We have not done the best to care for the creation to be good stewards of the earth. Caring for the earth 
is not just an Earth Day slogan. It is a requirement of our faith. We are called to protect people and the planet, living our faith in relationship with all of God's creatures. Today we face problems that we ourselves have caused, including global warming, deforestation, air pollution, and not to mention food and water insecurity. We must ask ourselves, have we truly taken care of the vineyard our landowner has given to us? What would our very own 21st century parable look like? What will the owner of the vineyard do to us, the tenants, when he comes in this time and in this place? Will the owner of the vineyard put us to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to other tenants, those tenants who give him their produce at the proper times? Jesus does not tell us these stories to turn us away from God, but he tells us these stories to turn us towards God. Jesus tells us these stories. He teaches us these important lessons so that we can turn to God and ask for the forgiveness that we so desperately need. Jesus is always calling us to conversion. Remember last week's gospel? Jesus called us to embrace change in our own lives. This is a change we can embrace. We can stand up for the rights of all people, no matter their age or the color of their skin. We can do our part by voting to ensure that our government is passing laws that uphold the dignity of all human beings. We can start making changes in our daily lives that will help support the health and longevity of the earth, this beautiful vineyard God has shared with us. We can be faithful and wise tenants who are happy to give the landowner his share of the produce at the proper time. We can be the change. We can turn back to God. For Wineskins, I'm Deacon William Wania. One of the oldest laws of ancient Israel was that when they harvested their grain, they were to leave the corners of the fields for strangers who might happen by. God blesses us in order that we might share our blessings with others. Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. Wineskins is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, thanking you for being with us. Have a blessed Sunday, and may God be with you. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today. 
because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.